Now, today's going to be a little bit different because I'm going to be sharing my story. Uh, Mel and I were talking about this, and I don't know if you've ever written your story and started speaking about yourself, but um, I'm, I'm not someone who really delights in talking about myself. I'm actually, surprising enough, this is going to surprise you, I'm actually an introvert. Silence. <laughs> um, this is probably the last thing that I ever thought I would do um, until God told me, well, it wasn't really told. <laughs> it was more get out of the nest and, uh, and learn how to fly. Um, but it's been an interesting journey and, and Mel says, you know, my life changed for the better when I met her. Um, and, and she is right. Um, she is my, you know, people say, is this your better half? I say, yes, she is my better half. But uh, my life has been an interesting one, and the person you see before you today um, is not the same person I was many, many moons ago. And my life has gone through many twists and tails, and, and God has had his hand in the whole process. Now, I don't like to talk about myself very much, but I do understand that when I do talk about my life, God is throughout it. And oftentimes we need to understand that our stories have the fingerprint of God in them even when we don't understand them. I can give you a, literally accounts going through things in my own life when I was far from God. And looking back at it now, I can see the fingerprint of God in there going, yep, that was me. But if you want to look at this, this is how we're going to do it. I'm going to do it a little bit more visually. This is going to be my starting point. And 41 years ago yesterday... At approximately 7.37, I existed on this planet outside of my mother. I was born. And the other end hasn't happened yet. Because it's, it's when I actually return to go back to the Father. When I actually go to eternity. And somewhere along the linen, in the middle of here, between the two points, I am currently. And I would say it's roughly about the middle. Roughly. But then who knows, right? And this is my timeline. And in there has been so many twists and turns, ups and downs, so many re-evaluation points, that it's been an interesting journey. But at the same time, like I said, God's hand is all over it. I am in a process. I am not a completed work. I am not finished yet. God has still got a long way to do. Some days more than others. And Christianity is not about being perfect. It's not about having it all together. It's not about being just amazing. It's understanding that we are on the road to perfection. That is a process. And the, the greater level that we allow the process to happen within us is the greater level that God is actually able to work in us. Like I said before, I am a very different person than I was, what, 15 years ago? 16, 17, 18, even close to 20. My transformation happened quite a very rapid. But I grew up, I'm going to get off notes. I grew up, when I was born at this point in time, I grew up in a, in a very religious family. Okay. My family was... Uh, my parents were connected within the, uh, not the Catholic Church, but the, um, what they call the Church of Christ. And it was very, it was religious. 
Women wore hats to church, right? Uh, you dressed up. Men, men ran the church. There was no pastor. Um, men preached. We did not have one single musical instrument. They were of the devil. Because <laughs> the only, only instrument that we were allowed to use is our voice. We sung from hymns. We weren't allowed to take communion unless we were baptized in the church. And there was a whole system of religion that was surrounded that. And my parents actually walked into that place, having no background of Christianity or anything about this. And so that was my experience of church. But at some point in time in my parents' life, they had this earning desire, they had this understanding that there was something more to be had. And so they went looking. And they come across what we call a Pentecostal or charismatic church. Spirit-filled. And their lives were radically changed, and so was mine. We started attending this church, and everything was going well. My father came from nothing, okay? And that's really important to understand, because my father came from this little town, and most people have never even heard. It's called Mount Morgan, right? It's about two hours, two, three hours north of Rockhampton. It's a mining town. He grew up with five brothers, or four brothers, brothers with five kids, and they were dirt poor. Most of his life, he did not even have a car. He didn't finish year 10. He became a plumber, because there's mines, and when you live in Mount Morgan, you either two, become two things, plumbers or miners. And so he had nothing. But he began to see something in his life that took place when he began to get promotions, because after becoming a plumber... He joined the fire service with no experience, no background, very different to what it is today. And he began to gather up speed in, in joining the ranks. He did some TAFE, college, uh, TAFE courses to get him advanced. And he actually did really well for himself because he actually rose to the rank of Chief Commissioner of the Queensland Fire Service, which is the top job. But around nine years old, at my age, nine years old, when I was nine, my father started to drift from the family. Okay? And it became more about his role, his, his job, and, and we became second. Now, he will, he will come to the understanding, or he will have the understanding that he was doing it for us, but he began to drift. And it wasn't until I was 17, my last year of high school, of all the years, that he left. But in that process between 9 and 17, he was absent. There were times when we had to move up the cans for his work for a couple of years and we came back. But the whole process of it, it was just this absent context of father. When he left, he left. Like he disappeared. Like, I had no contact with him for 13 years. I didn't get a birthday card, didn't get a Christmas card. Now, everything I'm telling you, this is not so you feel sorry for me, so you have sympathy to me, because I don't need it, okay? Um, I've dealt with this, I've worked through this. This is my story because of where it takes me. But this story comes along because it's, it begins to do something. See, there's a call on my life to do something for the kingdom of God, okay? If you haven't worked that one out, surprise. But every time there's a call 
for someone to do something for the kingdom of God. And the truth is, we all have this call. The enemy does not like it. And he has two plans of attack. One is to stop you from understanding who your God is. And two, to rob you from your purpose. To convince you that you are not good enough, you cannot achieve it. And now, when he came at me, he came at my father. And what he wanted to do was to strip me of the understanding of a father's love. Because to understand the heavenly father's love for your child or for you is really difficult when you haven't had your actual father's love. And we understand our heavenly father's love through our actual father's love. And so my story goes that after, after high school, my parents get a divorce and I go, whatever you've taught me is a load of baloney. If you can't live it, it can't be true. So I did a bail. And I ran. And I run really good. Mate, I... Oh, world, here I come. I got into mixtures, things, whatever I could get my hands on. By the age of 15, I was smoking marijuana and I was drinking. And smoking. By the age of 18, I was pretty close to being an alcoholic. And I was getting mixed up into all different kinds of things. And it simply came down to they're the choices that I made. See, God gives each and every one of us the most powerful thing. And it's not salvation. It's choice. God gives us the power to choose. And it doesn't matter what situation in it or what surrounding is, we still have the power of choice. And in my choices was to run what I thought wasn't true, what I was brought up with, and run in the complete opposite direction. Because I was like, well, if you guys can't live it, how much truth is there? And if there's no truth in it, then I'm bailing. I'm going to run and do exactly what I want to do. Now, for approximately nine to ten years, I did exactly what I wanted to do. And I got no way. <laughs> I got no. I'm a chef by trade and it was, it was very difficult. But I became a very angry person. Very angry. I was hurt from my father, rejected, and I was angry. I didn't understand the feelings that I had. Because I'm, I'm, I'm only a teen, right? I mean, teens understand who they are, where they are going. I'm 18, 19, 20 at this point in time. I'm angry as hell. I don't understand how, why I'm feeling this way. All I know is, if you mess with me, I'm coming at you. I didn't have this, oh yeah, that's nice, I'll just say something. No, I would come at you. And I was a very angry person. But something happened in my life that was actually, it's actually, well, I suppose you can call it quite radical. I had worked in Melbourne for a while. I just, I'd had enough, so I went packing my car, driving. And I was working down in Melbourne, and then I came up back up to Brisbane. And I was working at Conrad Jupiter's in the kitchen, and I was coming home one day, and I even remember the spot, it was Helen Vale South Exit. I was coming back northbound, and I remember very, very clearly that it was like God literally reached in my backyard. Now, I was listening to a lot of mixture of music. I was a bit odd. 
And I turned my music down because this is literally, like he literally put his hand on my shoulder. Right? At this point in time, I got tears rolling down my eyes trying to drive at 110 kilometers in traffic. Right? And these are the words he said to me. He said, Peter, I have purpose for you. And that's it. I have purpose for you. Now, when you're lost, you don't have any purpose except yourself. And I went through my whole life, or most of my life, not understanding that we're actually put here for a purpose. I was angry. I was hurt. And I remember the process. Like it happened. Like it was God. Like it, it, it was God. Like God grabbed my attention. I came home that day and I just, I literally fell to bits on the floor. No one else was home. Probably lucky. Right? I'm not an emotional guy. But I was just in tears. And as I was having this time, and, and God was there, right? I was crying out, I was screaming, I was, I, I, the neighbors probably thought someone was dying. I'm having this moment with God, and I got no idea what's going to happen. I remember my mum sort of come home after my episode, and, and for some reason she talked about this. Oh, you probably need to go see this guy. And, and I go and see this guy, and he's, he's my pastor, right? And I literally see him the next day, which is just a miracle, because if you haven't booked at least a week ahead to see him, he's very hard to see, right? Because he's very busy. I literally got him the next day. And everything changed. I mean, everything changed. He asked me to do a, uh, he said, Pete, I, I think you need to do a public declaration of what's taking place. That Sunday I did a public declaration in church. And my encounter with God was so radical for me. It was such a transformation that I just got hungry. Everything just went. <laughs> and I started moving so fast because I had realized something that what I had previously wasn't going to sustain me. But even just this little taste of God at that point in time gave me enough desire to want more. If the church doors were open, I was there. If there was a meeting happen, I was there. I basically lived at the church and didn't pay board, even though I had to pay board to my mother. Because for me, I just I couldn't get enough. I was involved in the church. I was serving the church. Because what I found, I have never in my whole entire life of searching and looking have found so much contentment than in the church. I have found my place in the church. Now, I know I'm a pastor, but I'm a pastor because of that. I wasn't often... often offered any position, I just wanted to be there. I would give up hours at work to make sure I was at church. I would literally move heaven and earth to get there. If I didn't have enough money, the money went into the fuel so I could get there. That's just how it was. And I learned, I, just, I gave everything I had. There was a time I remember, I was in desperate need. I, I literally was like six months old in the church. 
I had bought this brand new car, not like literally like seven months ago. And I can't sell the thing. It's a nice brand new car, drives, you know. And I can't sell it. I don't have the price up too high. I literally cannot move this thing. I get called and God basically says, time to go to Bible college. I'm only six months old, but because I'm just so hungry, you can't satisfy me. I go to Bible college, but I still can't sell the car. I have to quit my job to go to Bible college. I've got no job. I'm at Bible college, and I've got this car I can't afford. And I'm sitting there going, um, hello, God, are you hearing me? And I start cleaning out my bank account because I'm like, God, you're either in this or not. You're either true or you're not. You're either real or you're not. You either called me to Bible college or you didn't. And I'm either going to go bankrupt or you're going to come through. And I cleaned out my bank account and I gave my bank account. Then I, the next week I went through my car and found every little cent. You know those days when you had used to put coins in the, the toll roads? Yeah. I cleaned out my little car with every little 10 cent piece, every 20 cent piece. I Seriously, I think it was like $3.20 something around there. And I put that in. I didn't have a cent to my name. No money, no coins, no nothing. Nothing. And I'm like, God, if, you, if I don't get a job or you don't sell this car, I am finished. At this point in time, I've got, I don't know, the debt collectors ringing me, or not ringing me at that point in time, sending me the letters. And I'm desperate for God to move. And you know what he did? After that Sunday, when I had cleaned out my car and got everything else, I had a job within two days. The car was sold within two weeks. And God wasn't looking for me to empty out my bank account. He wanted my heart. And what he wants is this. And how he gets this is I have to get rid of everything else. But the whole process of coming through that is God is teaching me that he is the Lord, my God. Now I can talk about different financial situations that I've been in because I can even remember the day I got asked to become a pastor on staff. But there was a leading point to that. We went up, uh, one of the pastors who was starting a new campus asked me, we want you to come on as children's pastor or come on as children's worker. At this point in time, I'm dating this super hot lady, right? I'm like, you want to join me? <laughs> so that's what we did. And we did it for like, what, a year? Now, I'm a little extreme because our weekend looked like this. I would drive into the city, and I hate the city. I would pick up my wife, and we would drive to Gimpy, uh, off Gimpy Road, up the north side, and we would look after the kids so the adults could have a discipleship group. And we would finish, what, 10 o'clock at night. I'd drive Mel all the way home and then drive all the way home. Right? I'd work the next day or I'd be doing something. And then Sunday morning came, we would drive all the way up to the north side to have a church service in the morning. And then drive. And when we get there, we would turn up early and we would serve. If something needed to be done, we were countable. We could be counted on. We were doing everything. No one had to tell me what to do. I just wanted to do it. Car park duty, I was it. Set up the chairs, I was it. Set up the sound system, I was it. Set up communion, I was it. Set up kids' church, I was it. 
And we just did it because that's just what was in us. But I found contentment within church like I had never found before. I had been lost for so long and now here I am. I found my place. This is where I belong. This is where I need to be connected. And we did this for 11 to 12 months. And then my pastor, Pastor Sean, offered me a job. Not because I was awesome at doing anything. but Because I wanted to do something. He saw my heart. And he offered me this position. And when you understand who I am, and I understand who I am. I'm an introvert, right? And he offered me this job, and it's, I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's <laughs> not really good pay, right? He offers me his job, and to tell you the truth, I was going to turn it down. And I remember God speaking to me. He says, you know what? Walk through the doors that I've opened. That's it. Walk through the doors that i open. And so I get this crazy notion. I talk to Mel. Mel's like, Okay, right? And so I take this position. Eight years down the track, we come out here to start this church. Six years down the track, I'm standing here before you. And I'm not the same person I was 20-odd years ago, 15-odd, 20 years ago. And the difference was simply that God worked in me because... I let him. I can tell you I'm not angry like I used to be. I can tell you that I have no animosity against my father. Not one single ounce. Actually, he was at my place last night for my birthday. And when he comes over, I can give him a hug. I can talk to him. There's no bitterness, there's no hurt, because I have dealt with it and God has healed my very heart and the only reason why he's allowed in my life is because my kids deserve to know their grandparents for such a long time over 13 years he had nothing to do with me no birthday cards no Christmas cards I would send him Father's Day cards I would send him birthday cards and I would send him Christmas cards and I got nothing back and I remember the day he retired, he told us, and he, came, he moved down to Brisbane, lives at Hope Highland. The guy has tons of cash because he didn't have kids. Anyway, right, he was a workaholic, so he, he was either working or buying real estate. Anyway, and I don't need anything from him, okay? I let him in our lives. He's a part of our lives to the degree that he wants to be. There's so much distance between us. It's not that I haven't given him a bridge. It's just he's unable to cross it. He comes to our place. He thinks he's part of it, which is fine. He says hello to my kids. My kids think it's awesome. They love everybody. Right? If my kids don't like you, there's something seriously wrong. And through the whole process, and see, I'm not finished yet. Right? I'm not finished. I'm not dead yet, <laughs> right, obviously. And I know that God is continually working in me. He's got more things to do. He's got more of the process, more of the plan to actually come about. In Japan, and I love the Japanese culture. I've never been there. It's on my to-do list. Right. 
This is art of pottery. And it all took place because in the 14th century, the emperor had some broken bowls. And so he sent them back to China, because that's where all the bowls were made, to get fixed and repaired. And when they came back, they had used like a metal staple to pull them back. And this is the emperor of Japan. And he's like, this is not good enough. So he came up with this concept or got his gurus to actually help him out. And it's called Kintsugi. Where they take the broken bowls and they fill those bowls, the cracks, with gold. And they repair the bowls using something that is very, very precious and very, very expensive. As a philosophy, Kinzagu is actually seen as embracing the flaws or the imperfections of the bowl. And the value of the bowl is not on the actual bowl itself, but it's on the fact that it was repaired. It got to a point that these bowls were worth so much that they would literally smash plates and bowls in order to get into this process. And the gold was there or used to actually highlight the cracks, the flaws in place. You can ask me why I'm going this way because you need to understand that in my life I have lots of cracks. I have lots of flaws, right? You get to know me, I'm going to annoy you at some point in time. I'm sorry. But in my cracks, in my flaws, there is gold. And God is actually repairing my bowl every single day that I walk in Him. And He's repairing me with His glory. So when you look at me and you see certain things, and I don't know how you view me, the truth is the good things, they're Him. It's His healing. In Revelation 12, verse 11, it says, They, meaning the saints, the believers, they conquered Him, being the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they did not love their, li their, their lives in the face of death. Meaning this, if you want to overcome the enemy's attacks, if you want to stop him from stealing your joy, if you want to stop him from stealing, suppressing your purpose in life, because I guarantee you don't fully know it yet, the only way to, un to do that is understand the blood of the Lamb, what Jesus did for us, that by grace, by grace, not by merit, by grace, he died for me, paid for my price, and is continually renewing me every single day that I walk in him. To a point where one day I will stand before him. And I'm hoping for those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not because of anything I've done, but because I learned how to surrender to him. It's our testimony. It's our story that we tell of what God has done in my life. Not, not the, the rubbish that happened last week. Oh, Betsy, man, she annoys me. That's what I'm not talking about, right? I'm talking about the fact that, man, I was broken. And God, he healed me. He made me anew, man. I, oh, 
me and I, yeah. God made me honey. Because we're all flawed. None of us are perfect. If you didn't know that, I'm sorry. Probably a bit too much right now. But our viewpoint is often those cracks we like to hide them. You know, that's just when we, we turn the bowl around so you don't get to see the cracks. But those flaws, those cracks, if we allow him, right? If we if we let him in, he he pours his glory into those cracks. He pours those he pours his glory into the missing parts and say, hey. I'm going to complete you. I'm going to fill the voids. So when people see you, when they look at you, they don't go, oh, that's flawed, that's broken. No, they see a completed bowl, but they see my glory shining through your cracks. And the only way to allow him to fill those voids is surrender. And everything that Jesus asks from us, he always does first. When he went to the cross, he surrendered. He didn't fight it. He had 12 legions of angels waiting for them to say, you just give us the word and we'll come in and save you. But he surrendered, not just once, but multiple times. He surrendered in the Garden of Eden when he was just him and God. He surrendered to the, the Jewish um, hierarchy when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane at that point in time. He surrendered to the high priest by not arguing, by not fighting, by not putting forth his case. He surrendered when he was before Pilate. He never defended himself. He surrendered when they put him on the cross. He surrendered to the whole process and said, you know what, not my will, but your will be done. I'm telling you, God, what he created for you, what he designed you for is more than what you think it is. It's not just to exist. I never saw myself preaching in front of a church. I never saw myself running a church. Never. Never even imagined. In fact, when my older brother went to Bible college, I laughed at him. A few years later, God sent me. And I was laughing at myself. What God has for you is bigger than what you understand. And the reason why you don't know it is because you're not ready to know it. Because if you knew it, you might get scared and run the opposite direction. But if you let him, oh my gosh, he can take the most broken bowl and mend it and fix it and shine it and go, hey, look at my son. Look at my daughter. In whom I am well pleased. My glory shines in their flaws. My glory shines in their cracks and their brokenness. It's my glory. Not mine, but His. The cross doesn't just buy our salvation. It doesn't just buy the fact that we were broken. It fixes. It mends. It's preventative rather than cure. But it's both. And if you follow his principles, walk in his ways, you won't need to go through what I had to go through. You won't have to have those radical changes where you fight the whole process because even in the times I was fighting him. 
I was fighting the process because for such a long time, it was just me. It was just me. I had to rely on me. I was hurt. I was angry, but it was just me. And then all of a sudden, this process of, oh my gosh, it's God too. He was always with me through the whole process. He never left my side, even when I ignored him, even when I said, no, he's not real. He was right there. There were times he carried me, even when I didn't even understand it. But he was always, always there. Because he's like, you know what, Pete? This might have been your birth. But I had you on my mind way, way back there. Way, way back there, you were on my thoughts. You were on my mind. You are on my heart. I created you. I designed you for function and for purpose. And even though this, this might have been your point in this world, this, this is just a starting point. But it was my rebirth that awakened me. It was my surrender that let him encapsulate my heart. It was my surrender that let him work in me. And I haven't even begun to surrender. I haven't even begun to get on my knees enough. I haven't even begun to let him work in me. All I can tell you is the person that you get to see right now is not the person that was many of those years ago. I don't even know how my wife even married me. She grew up in a good church with a good family. I was broken goods. The more you let him, the more he'll do. My greatest joy is seeing someone change, seeing someone capture what God has for them. Capture the concept that they were born for more than just exist. My greatest joy is when the light turns on. Because it reminds me. Reminds me of my encounter. When I realized I had done it all wrong. I had missed it. If we only let him, if we only let him, we stop fighting him. We just learn to surrender. We stop thinking like we have it all together. We stop hiding the cracks and the flaws. And we just walk in truth. We just say, you know what, God, I'm I'm broken. I don't know how to do this. But I'm just taking another step in you. When God called me to start a church, my wife did not want to start a church. It took five years of me praying, God, show her. Show her. I didn't push. I didn't ram it down her throat. I said, God, just show her. Talk to her. Eventually, she came and said, oh, it's time to start a church. 
We'd never started a church. We'd been part of a church plant, but never started a church. Never started a charity. We sold our house, which is just a miracle in itself. Because I never actually thought I'd own a house. I was on pastoral wages, if you want to call it that. Right? We were keeping our heads above, above water, just renting. And then because, because of what we had done, because of our service, right? And we never did it to get something. We just did it because we wanted to be part of it. But because our service, this developer in our church had decided to bless five families and build houses for cash at cost. And even when they told us, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I, I don't know how to do that. I don't know if we can even afford the repayments. So in our first house, God made a way. God gave us a house at cost. It was fully done. All the, all the landscaping, all the furnishing. Oh, not the furnishing. That would be nice. But it was complete lock-up. And so even in those early days, we decided that we wouldn't let that house go to waste. We had people over, like we do today. And when God called us to come out here to start this church, what he had done is he'd already set us up. Because that house got us into this house. Now, this house is much nicer than that house. But I have the same principle that we do with every one of our houses. Our houses are for God. God gave them to us. God made a way for us. And God will continually get the blessing. Now, I don't make huge money. We, we're not worried about money. Because I have learnt to trust him. And God has done exceedingly abundantly all that I could possibly imagine and more. He makes ways when we, we don't know how to get through. And even when we came out to start the church, I know I've gone over time, give me a little bit more. Right? And even when we come out to start the church within, well, a month, six weeks, I lose the use of my right arm. Now, I have no memory of the accident, thank goodness, but apparently I was conscious. Because in my stubbornness, and I am stubborn, when it works in God's favor, it's tenacity. Brad had to hold me down because I wanted to get back up. But I hit a tree at 90 to 100 kilometers an hour, ripped five nerves out of my spinal cord, and if I had hit the tree a little bit, like literally an inch, to the left. I would have been either in a wheelchair or probably not at all. Destroyed my bike, destroyed the tree, and I was the only one to walk away, well, kind of walk, roll away in a stretcher. And even though this doesn't make sense because you can look at circumstances and situations and go, this, this, why? And trust me, I've gone through that. I've cried out to God multiple, multiple times, especially in those early days, saying, God, why? What did I do to deserve this? I've said every line, did everything. And I still don't have the answer. But all I know is God. 
God can. God can heal me. God can do miracles. He can change my situations at a blink of an eye. And I've asked. And I've got multiple people who are asking, who are still praying for me, still believing for a miracle. And I'm, I'm hoping one day that God says, yep, it's time now. Because that might shock you. But I know. Oh, I know. He's the only one that can. If he can take me, and I know there's people that have got harder stories than I do. If he can take me from a, I don't know if it was shattered, but it was definitely very broken, position to this point. And I've got more years to come, so the journey's only going to get bigger and better. Doesn't mean it's not going to get harder. Right? But he can take anybody. And he can make anybody into anything. But the defining factor is surrender. How much are you willing to apply his principles? How much are you willing to trust him? Because you're the only one who can answer that. Me, I'm trusting him more and more every day. It's a continual work and process. I'm not finished yet. And he's not finished with me yet either. And I will look towards the end of my life, not quite at the end. And I will marvel at what God has done because I'm at this point marveling at what he's already done. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're far from him, maybe you've walked away, maybe you're fighting him, maybe you know, you know, you know that God has said come home. You know it in your heart. But you are fighting it because you think you can win against God. I hate to break it to you. You can't. I already tried. Gosh, I even moved into state to try and run from him. That didn't work either. God will get you. My mother was praying for like nine to ten years for me to come home. I'm a testimony of prayer as well. I'm a testimony of you just keep praying. You just keep believing. It'll happen. Gosh, my story is a story where God just did what he wanted to do. He let me to my own desires. He let me to my own works. And he still wins. Because that is the story of the Bible. If you go to the very last page, what they should have wrote in the very last page is, He wins. Because he wins. He wins in the end. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're far from him, then I'm going to stand at the front and I'm going to wait. And you come and talk to me and we'll pray and we'll walk through this process. But if you need God right now, if you need prayer for anything, then I'm asking you to stand. If you need a fresh touch, if you need to reconnect with him, then just stand where you are. Because you know what? I'm standing. I want more of him every single day. He's like water when you're dehydrated. Just never enough. We'll pray. We're going to close the meeting. We've got tea and coffee this morning, tea. Stay a while.
talk with someone. There's some great people here. Some fascinating stories. But we're going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for every single person in this place. I thank you that each and every story is different and unique. I thank you that the person, the per- uh, purpose and the destiny that you have in placed in each person is unique as the individual. Father, I speak life. Life, your life. The life that you breathe. The life that you are into each and every one of us. Encapsulate us, fill us, empower us to, to desire you more and more and more and more and more. Give us an insatiable thirst for you. Bless us this week as we go upon our ways. Grant us with wisdom and guide us. Bless those who are standing who just simply need more of you. God, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's morning tea and there's tea and coffee, like I said. Next week we got Pastor Kevin in the morning here. We've got Pastor Rod at our place at a life group next Sunday at 4 o'clock. It'll be a great weekend. Um, Talk to David and Brad about Top Gun men, women. You've got a thing on next Sunday afternoon. Ladies, catch up. Maximizers on Wednesday. If you want to get involved, we have opportunities. Come and talk to those people. Otherwise, be blessed.